All right, well, we're in the book of Psalms. If you want to turn there, Psalm 37. Let's turn there together. And uh, we are going to do the entire psalm. It is Psalm 37, and we have uh, 40 verses to cover today. Now, we won't, I know you're kind of wondering, like, why did, we, why did we do six weeks for Psalm 23? That had six verses, and we're doing one week for Psalm 40. Um, psalm 40 has, or Psalm 37, rather, it has a lot of uh, similar verses that we've already seen in the last few weeks, so uh, a lot of similar themes, and we're going to be able to cover it uh, a little more quickly. But before we do that, I do want to have a prayer time, and uh, just to make sure you know, Jim and Sharon Finn are with us here today, and uh, Jim and Sharon have, have been uh, transitioning to a move down to the Bakersfield area, and they're back for the weekend, but we wanted just to have a prayer time for them, and this that new move goes smoothly and continues to go smoothly, and that the kids that are left here, uh, that we would be able to be an encouragement to them and a support to them. Uh, and we just love you guys a lot. And uh, it's it's always it's hard to see those transitions happening in in a church, right? You you come like wondering where didn't somebody sit there? Well, yes, it's Jim and Sharon, so. Um, we're going to miss you very much, and you'll always be welcome whenever you come back. But it's also always nice to see you come back, right? And we see people like Steve and Linda Rogers who are here today, and many others I've seen today, Sherry, and we saw uh, Bev and Juan Aranda earlier. So we're great to see, and I'm sure I'm missing some, but great to see people who come back and are part of the body. But would you join me as we pray for Jim and Sharon and as we pray for the rest of our time together? Father, we, we're so thankful uh, that you love us and that you've drawn us together as one body with many parts, as Gene uh, talked about. And as the scripture says, Lord. So we thank you that, that you've given us different gifts and talents and abilities. We thank you for the, the time we've spent with Jim and Sharon, the addition that they have been, uh, not only to our church body, but to our lives. God, we will uh, miss them, but God, we will commit to pray for them. And, and God, we pray that you will make this transition smooth, that God, you will uh, just fill them up with joy being around kids down there, Lord, and uh, just in that transition uh, in, their, in their new church family, that they'll continue to be the addition they have been here. God, as, as they go, as they leave behind uh, their, some of their other kids, Lord, I, I pray that you would use us to encourage them and, uh, and to be in their lives and uh, to fill that gap, and, uh, however needed, however you call us to do while we're here. So we trust you with that. We thank you for Jim and Sharon, for their faithfulness to uh, each other, to the Lord, and to their church. God, we, we pray you grant them blessing as they go. God, for today, as we look to your word, God, we come today to, to honor you, to worship you, uh, because you are worthy. And Lord, as we look to your word today, it is, it is you, the worthy one, instructing us and giving us wisdom of how to believe and how to live and God, uh, whom to trust. So God, I pray you would open our hearts, you'd soften our hearts and open our minds also to, to hear from you, to, to see you clearly. God, to listen to your word, that God, we would, we would be pierced, cut to the heart, cut to the core if necessary, Lord, that we would be brought to repentance. God, turning away from what we were holding on to or expect, expectations we had, or hopes we had that were all lies. God, that we would move into a place of repentant, obedient faith to you. Because you, and in you, through faith, we find you most satisfying. We trust you, we give you praise, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Psalm 37. We will read verses 1 through 40 together, if you're there. Are you ready? I'm going to take a big, deep breath. Psalm, one, Psalm four, uh, 37, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. Uh, if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take that pew rack Bible home as a gift to you. Here we go. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wear their quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. Do not be agitated by the one who prospers in His way, by the persons who carry out their evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slaughter those whose way is upright. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days, and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those cursed by Him will be destroyed. A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed, because the Lord supports him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently. For the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks about what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to, exalt you to inherit the land. Uh, you will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I have seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but could not, he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future, but transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, for their refuge, or their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. This is the word of God. Um, today, you'll notice uh, if you've got a bulletin and you had a sermon notes there, the title of the sermon is Your Best Life Later. Your Best Life Later. Uh, and, and in fact, as I read through this, it, this is what uh, David is, is trying to convey to us. And it's, it's a didactic psalm, which means it's intended to teach or instruct. In fact, this psalm is so proverbial that it, it, and it displays so much of a wisdom tradition that it could actually be incorporated into the book of Proverbs, right? As wise teaching, wise counsel. 
And, and so let's talk about this idea of the best life later. Right? That comes against and square in the face of what a lot of society would embrace as what? The motto is your best life now. Like I'm going to do whatever I can and climb as, as high as I can get and, and reach up and scratch and kick and scream and, and win and win so I can have my best life right now. But that is not what God tells us. And if you look at this scripture, uh, it's not saying it there either. In fact, what David is saying is your, your best life and my best life is in fact later if we want to pursue Jesus Christ. It's way different. Our best life is later. Now, uh, it's, there's nothing against working and, and making the best of your life right now, but this will never be the best life. The best life will be the one that is in the kingdom to come in heaven with Jesus forever. This life is a short life. This life is our 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. It's fleeting and it is gone. So what, what the psalmist, what David is writing is he says, I look around and I don't see that lived out, right? Like I'm working uh, my best right now to make, make my life what it can be. But what we see around us is that they have an expectation that this life can and should be the best life they have, that, that there is to offer. And we see the despair that that causes. I want you to understand as we go through this a couple of things. One, for you and I, uh, if, if we set an expectation or set a bar so high on this life, we will always be found lacking. It will never actually satisfy. And when it doesn't actually satisfy, we then are disappointed. And when it doesn't actually satisfy, we then say, well, it must have been something I was doing. I, I, I can still have my best life now. I'll just get the new magazine with the seven next tips to do the next best thing, and I'll follow that. And when I follow that, then I'll have my best life now. And that is a lie. It's not going to happen. We can do the best we can, right? Your, your best life now uh, versus making the best of your life now, right? We want to make the best of life, but making the best of it is putting our hope and faith in Jesus. And that's what the psalmist, that's what David writes here uh, as, he, as he instructs us. So the idea, whether it be your best life later or making the best of your life now, uh, there are some themes in Psalm 37 that we're going to unpack, okay? First thing, number one, you'll see it on your notes there. Uh, having your best life later means this, pursuing contentment in godliness or through godly living. Through in, pursuing contentment through godly living. Let's look at Psalm 37. Look at verses 1, 7, and 8. He uses the words, Don't be agitated by evildoers. Don't envy those who do wrong. Verse 7. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. Do not be agitated by the one who prospers in His way, by the person who carries out evil plans. In verse 8. Refrain from anger and give up rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. So it starts off right away saying there, there is something within us that gets agitated. And when we talk about agitation, it's not like I'm just a little bit irked. It's not like I just, I'm angry. It, it's that deep agitation. It's deep within. It's a kind of anger that dwells in the heart unseen. And eventually, those things that dwell in the heart unseen, what happens? They're seen, aren't they? They come out. And they come out sometimes subtly in the ways I believe about some certain thing or in, in what I, I, I say or the attitude I have. And, and sometimes it comes out as an explosion just blowing up against somebody. Right? But it's all because of these expectations, this bar that was set that my best life should be now. It should be all about me. I should be comfortable. I should be happy. I should be satisfied. And when I see that it's not happening and I see that bad people, it is happening to them, I'm agitated. Right? It, it's, this, it's this 
idea that I'm, I'm coveting, I'm comparing, I'm, I'm having this, uh, this competition between somebody else because of what their life looks like instead of what my life looks like. Where does this come from? Where does this agitation come from? It comes from desires within us. And this is going to be the battle, right? There's the wisdom from the world and the wisdom of God. And ultimately for you and I, we have these desires that are rooted inside of us because we're human beings. Scripture says the heart is deceitful beyond all things, right? And so we, our, our, our heart is continually lying to ourselves and our desires continually say you should have something that really maybe you shouldn't necessarily have. James says it in this way in chapter one. He says, but each person is tempted, you and I, each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. You and I have our own evil desire. We have desires within us that creep up and, and then that, that leads to agitation. That leads to comparing. That leads to competing. That leads to not being content. We're drawn away by our own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Does that seem, does that progression seem like your best life now? Not at all. But that's what the world says is the answer. Follow your heart. Follow your desires. Go after it. Run, run big and go get it. You can have it. And people go after it and get it and they find some despair there. So they make adjustments. It's like, well, it must have been a little bit different. I'll, I'll, I'll do a course correction and go a different route. But until that course correction is made away from your own desires and towards faith in Christ, it will never fully satisfy. Comparing and coveting and competing combine to form this deadly process. James says it leads to death. It's a process that pulls us away from God and being content with living a life of godliness. You see, there needs to be a contentment. You know where, where this comes from? Desire. You know where desire is bred? I'm not content. I need more. I deserve more. I, my life should look a certain way. So uh, I should have this or I shouldn't have lost this or had this happen or whatever it might be. All of the things in life add up to say, I desire something different. And what God says, I want you to be content and not be agitated. So there's a, there's a, a part of this. Where, where do we find content, contentment? Well, we find it in godliness. I said that in my point in godly living. I want to read a part in Luke chapter 21. It says, be on your guard. This is, this is what godliness is, being on your guard. Right? That, that's the difference between being agitated and angry and upset and comparing. No, be watchful. Be patient. Watch and take notice of what's going on around you. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled. That's what happens, right? Our desires, we give in our desires, and our minds are dulled, and our bodies are numbed, and our, our hearts are hardened, and we just end up going down a path we never wanted to go down. So be on guard so your minds are not dulled from carousing and from drunkenness or from the worries of life. Do you get it? When I know I get this. When you start reading a verse and you say carousing and drunkenness, you're like, oh my goodness, he said those things. And things come to mind, right, of what that means and what that looks like. But what's the next thing he says? Worries of life. In the same sentence, he's putting carousing and drunkenness with the worries of life. When you and I get agitated and life isn't, isn't what we expected it to be, Jesus is saying that worry, that deception that you're believing, the thing that you're not being on guard about is the same as carousing and drunkenness. It's the same sentence. He says, be on guard from these things. Don't dull your mind so that, or that day will come to you unexpectedly. I love that. That day will come to you unexpectedly, like a trap. There is a day that's going to come, Right? And so for you and I, as we, we guard our hearts and our minds and we, we push down those desires that say your best life is now, 
Our hope is in the day that will come that Jesus will make all things new. But if, if we're embracing the, the desires of our life today and, and the drunkenness or carousing or the worries of life, that day that's going to come that, that we should have all our hope in will be a fear and a trap for us, it says. But it'll come on all of us who live on the face of the earth. But be alert at all times, it says. Again, be on guard, be alert, praying that you might have strength to escape all these things that, you are, that are going to take place as you can stand before the Son of Man. I, I want to be alert. I want to exchange my worries and my, my sin and my own pleasures and my own desires. I want to exchange that for, for what God has to offer and be alert to what He wants to do and how He wants to strengthen me. James 4, this is a, this is a verse that I have, man, I've been wrestling with for a while because I've been helping my kids as they wrestle with it. But it's, it's not just my kids. I've told you stories about my kids, and you love those stories, right? But I'm really just deflecting away from myself, my own heart. I want us to see this picture. James chapter 4, a question is posed. And I, I ask this question all the time of my children, but I'm going to ask it of me and I'm going to ask it of you. What starts, or what is the source of wars and fights among you? What is the source of wars and fights among you? Now, we can conjure up a lot of things there, like well, wars. We see a war going on, Ukraine and Russia and other places in the world, genocides happening, and we see war or fights, right? Like maybe some battles in your family and, and relationship issues, some tensions that are going on, right? The question is, what starts those things at the core? Whether it's a spat with your brother or sister or whether it's a world war, what is the core? It's the same, same answer. James says, what is the source of of fights among you and wars among you, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? This, this is a gut check. This is a heart check for every single one of us. You know what it's saying? Is when I get agitated, when I'm getting angry and upset, and I don't like how things are going, my best life isn't happening now, you know what, what James is saying here? It's because there's a tension in your own heart. You have some evil desires within you. Here, let me put it simple. It's because of what you want. And for you and I as human beings, and many of us in this room, adult human beings, or at least, hey, we're, we're self-sufficient, we want what we want. And we're going to what? We're going to get it. That is not the way. That starts wars and fights among us. So there's this tension that happens. This agitation happens because of what is inside, the desires from within you. You desire and you do not have. So you murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Right? You haven't made that course, Christian, and said, you know, it's not about what I, what I want. It's about what, what does God want for me? And you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you'll be able to spend it on your pleasures. Again, I, I want what I want. James goes on in verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? It's, it's so difficult for us to get that perspective. It's, it's so necessary, though, that our contentment has to not come from our best life now. Because having our best life now comes from motives that are deep within our heart and that are at hostility towards and with God. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or, or do you think it's without reason that the Scriptures say the Spirit, has made, uh, the Spirit He made to dwell in us envies intensely. He desires us in our heart. But He gives greater grace. Therefore, He says this. God resists the proud, right? Those who, I want what I want. But He gives grace to the humble. You see, doesn't that sound satisfying? 
Doesn't that sound like that's the rest that we're... When we, when we say, I want my best life now, and I follow the desires of my heart, really that rabbit trail is, I want to be comfortable. I, I'm not, I don't want to be confronted. I, don't, I, I want to avoid that. I want to live peaceably. And, and, I, and maybe I want too many things. I mean, all that stuff is really about being content, though. What we, what we know is that that's not going to bring contentment. But only Jesus brings contentment. So he's saying, I'm going to resist the proud. If you want to be proud and want what you want, you're going to get resistance and be an enemy of God. But... He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So for you and I, this, this perspective change has to happen that I have to pursue contentment in humility and through godly living. So he says, therefore. So since all of that exists, since these desires in our heart exist and that are waging war within, within us and, and with the people around us, what do we do? Therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. What does that mean? Abandon your desires in your heart. Stop wanting what you want and throwing a fit about it. Because that brings about wars and conflict and tension. Resist that. And humble yourself. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Resist being agitated. Resist comparing. Resist coveting. Resist competing with someone else and wanting what they have. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near then to God and he will draw near to you. That doesn't... You see how this rest is being moved? We're moving into rest. When we come to faith, when we, when we come to, to, to trust in Him and pursue our contentment in Him instead of in our own ideals or our, our own ideas of what we need, we find real rest. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And, and I think this double-minded stood out to me as I read this because I, I feel like I'm double-minded at times. Like, I, I want rest in Jesus. I preach Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. You need Jesus. Then I'm like, but I want this, this, and this, and this. Right? It happens all the time. Mostly for me, it's with my schedule and my time. Where I want to be and when I want to be there and, and what I want that to look like and feel like. I've got to so resist the, the, the need, the desire. I say it's a need, it's not. The desire within my heart to, to micromanage God's schedule. Right, Mike? Right? Oh, yeah, you don't know that, yeah. Submit to God, resist the devil. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't think two ways. There's one way to think. It's humbly. Be, so be miserable and mourn and weep. We don't like, that's not within the wheelhouse of your best life now, is it? Hey, best life now, be miserable. Mourn and weep, right? Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. That doesn't seem like the right recipe. That's why our desires in our heart tell us something different. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, that's making the best of your life now. That's Jesus saying, let me take care of this. Let me be your hope. Let me be your joy. So you and I, as double-minded people, we have to be paying attention to the tension. Because the tension in the room really usually comes from the evil desires within our own heart, our own selfish ambitions, our own desire to have our best life now. And, and David's saying, that ain't, it, that ain't it. If you want your best life now, it's, it's, not, it's not about having it now. It's about hope in the best life later and making the best of life right now. And making the best of life right now is about pursuing contentment through godliness and humility, through living for Him. So how do we avoid these comparisons? Or the temptation to have what the wicked have? Especially when it seems that they're the ones prospering and the righteous ones are the ones suffering. And we look around, it, does not, it seems like they have their best life now. And, and, it's all over, and, it's, and every TV ad would say the same thing. Uh, it, the grass is always greener there. And it, that's what it looks like to us, right? 
So what do we have to do, right? Well, one, we have to find our contentment is not in fulfilling the, uh, coming from the fulfilled desires of my own evil heart. That's not contentment. Contentment is actually living humbly with God. That's where contentment comes from. And the next thing is number two. If you want this, this having your best life later, you've got to hold on to an eternal perspective. You have to hold on to an eternal perspective. I'm going to fly through a lot of Psalm 37 here, right? We've read it already. The themes are, are there. You can read more of it on your own. But, but I want you to understand, when, when we see the wicked around us prospering, and we think that's the way that we can have our best life now, right? We're only seeing part of the picture. And we have to get that. That's only part of the picture. When we see the whole picture, we realize that everything they have and everything the wicked have accomplished is all fleeting. What does the word fleeting mean? It's going to be leaving soon. It's going to blow away, fleeting. It's like it's going to be easily gone, right? The scripture says that that, that that will wither quickly. So let's look at what that scripture says in Psalm 37. I'm going to bust through some of these verses, starting at verse 2. For they said, don't be agitated, right, for these evildoers, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. This is literally talking about green grass. The grass is greener on the other side. Okay, maybe. Maybe it looks that way, but what's this verse say? The greener grass on the other side is ultimately going to do what? Wither away and die. Okay? Big picture. Looks like it's better. Looks like it's a greater life. Looks like I want that. No, no. The eternal perspective is bigger. They're going to wither. Verse 9. Evildoers will be destroyed. Verse 10. The wicked person will be no more. Although you look for him, he'll not be there. Verse 12. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him in this righteous, in this, in this indignation, right? And then verse 13, the Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. Uh, I, that, should, that should bring joy to your heart. That although as the wicked are prospering and it looks like their best life is, is now, in fact, that is, this is going to be the best life they'll ever know because this will end. It will be gone and the Lord laughs because his day is coming. The wicked have drawn a sword. They've, they've strung their bow, right? The sword's going to go into their heart. The bow will be broken. Verse, uh, then verse 17, uh, the arms of the wicked will be broken. The Lord supports the righteous. Verse 20, the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, and it's, it's kind of saying, that, look at this glorious pasture. It's amazing, right? But the enemies of the Lord, like the glories of the pasture, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. This is an eternal perspective that we look and say the world around us Although they, they look like they're having their best life now and that that's the answer, it is not because it will end. And, and here's the next verse. I love this verse, 28 of Psalm 37. The Lord loves justice. The Lord loves justice. You, we see it all the time that the righteous are treated unjustly. We see it all the time that the wicked are treated not justly, right? They're, they're given more and, and, and they're, they get out of things and weasel their way out of things. And it's like, what is going on? And it just irks us, right? And then that's why we get agitated. But the hope is here in this eternal perspective. You and I need to know and, and embrace this promise that God, the Lord, He loves justice. He loves justice and He will not abandon His faithful ones. There will be a day where every single person that has ever lived or ever will live, will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account to the one who judges justly. Not enough money or lawyers will ever get anybody out of whatever they need to get out of. He will judge and he loves justice. But this here, this kind of bleeds into our next point a little bit. We'll get there in a little while, but it's this gospel hope that we have. 
I am so glad the Lord loves justice. And, and part of this is understanding that there's a deeper justice to be had here. And for you and I who, who have come to know Christ as Savior, we've come to, a, to believe and trust in Him as the, as the one who died for us in our place, what do we understand? That justice for us and for our sin has been satisfied by God on Jesus Christ. Do we get that? The Lord loves justice. That, that, the scriptures say that you and I are sinful and separated from God. So as wicked as the wicked are out in the world we look at and are agitated by, we can look in the mirror and say, you know what? That was me too. That was where I was too. I, I was separated from God because of my sin. I was evil. I was doing what, what Satan wanted me to do, not what God wanted me to do. And that separation was, was something that would last eternally. It wasn't just like, I had a bad day and I'll do it right. And if I do enough good in the time I'm given, it will outweigh the bad. That's not, that's not the scales of justice, right? That's like weighing grain. The sales, scales of justice in God's sight say this. If you have a little tiny sin in your tray and you have a billion things of good in your other tray, you still have sin to be atoned for in this other tray. See, we think we can get, get away with it. Oh, if, I, if I'm just good enough, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, it'll work itself out. God said, no, you can't be. That, that's, that's you trying to live your best life now. You, you can't. You have to stop fighting, stop that struggling. Understand and know that you are sinful, that you are separated, that I am sinful, that I am separated from God because of my sin. <clears throat> but God, who, is, who loves justice and loves you and loves me, decided to pour out that justice, his wrath, against my sin on the Lord Jesus for me. And he did that for you. That if I would come to him in faith and say, listen, I know that you did, what, did that thing, that justice for me, and it paid for me, and you, you bled for me, and you, you rose from dead for me, I want that to be for me. I'm believing that. I'm trusting in that. If we would go and turn from our own pursuits from our own evil, from our own agitation, from our own best life now, if we would turn from that and say, Jesus, I, I want what you have for me. Justice has been served on the cross through Christ crucified, and life has been granted because of the resurrection. I want justice. I want to be acquitted, justified by Jesus, and I want to have life through Christ. He promises to give you life, and there is hope there forever. The Lord loves justice, and I love that. And I love that that justice, see, for me, it's like, oh, well, yeah, that, that, the Lord's going to get that guy that I don't like, right? He's going to have justice one day. I can look out there and say, oh, you're going to get your own. But really, the heart behind what we should have is a humble, a humble heart, right? It says that the Lord dealt justly with me through Jesus and can do the same for them as well. But my life is going to be a model that says Jesus' justice is best and being justified in Christ is best. And I will not live my life in a model that says, hey, let's, let's continue to live in a wicked way and prosper that way. Because see, when you and I participate in my best life now, it tells the rest of the wicked world what they're doing is the right way to live. The right way to live is to humble yourself and say, I can make the best of my life now, but my best life is later because what the Lord Jesus has done for me. And we can live securely. We can live safely. We can live in a place, in a position that says, I, I can have rest and my soul is guarded, and my mind is guarded, and my heart is guarded in Christ Jesus, and not one other person that's trying to live their best life now has that. 
because they continue to pursue. They continue the agitation. They continue to have those evil desires unmet. And what they continue to do is change course and try to find it in a different way, all without Christ. And guess where that leads them? Empty, green grass that will ultimately wither and perish. That's where the wicked are. So this eternal perspective is you and I looking and saying what they're pursuing and the way they're pursuing it will ultimately not come to anything. But Jesus loves justice. And he's given me justice through, through his death and his resurrection and through my belief and trust in him. I can be white as snow, forgiven and justified. Right? Just as if I had never sinned. They are kept safe forever. The children of the wicked are destroyed. This is that, that contrast, that double-minded. There's, there's two pursuits, wisdom of the world, wisdom of God. Children of God are kept safe because of God. Children that aren't of God aren't because they're not of God. They're of the world, and they do their own thing, and it never lasts. Never lasts. It may, it may fulfill for a temporary time, but it will never last. He says in verse 35, I've seen the wicked, violent person, well-rooted, like a flourishing native tree. We've all seen that, right? We're like, how in the world are they? And then, and then it says, Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future, but transgressors will be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. Why is that? Because God is just. And God is going to punish sin. So whatever your best life now looks like, ultimately it will not be your best day later. Because God has to deal with sin. So let him deal with it now and stop pursuing your best life now and make the best of a life now by letting Christ in. Letting him forgive. It's like this for the rich man and Lazarus, right? We Remember that story? The rich man died and Lazarus died and Lazarus loved Jesus and he was, uh, and, and he was saved. And the rich man loved his own life and loved his own things and he was not. And one went to hell and one went to heaven. So the, the rich man uh, says, well, I, I want to go back. I, I need a, a second chance for my family and all this stuff. And, and Abraham says, son, uh, remember that during your life, you received your good things. Isn't that, that's horrible, right? He is experiencing painful torment for all eternity. And the answer is, you had your best life then. Because you wanted your best life now. You had it then, and, and the now that you were at is not the now that it was, and now you're in torment. You had your best life now. You received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Eternal perspective is pretty important, isn't it? When this life is as fleeting as it is, and we're not guaranteed another breath, but all eternity is going to last for all eternity, I hope that you're not exchanging the best life later for the best life now because that would be a foolish exchange. James chapter 3, I want to talk about this eternal perspective a little more. Who among you is wise and understanding? So this is that the person who has this eternal perspective. By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in, in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Right? Not, in, not in the works that come from anger or agitation or wanting to get ahead, right? But it says, but if you have bitter envy, right? Or selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. And these two last passages kind of putting things to light, right? This eternal perspective, heaven and hell, wisdom from God, wisdom from the world or, or demonic. 
right? For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. What starts fights and wars among you? Envy, selfishness, desire within, right? But the wisdom from above, and, and it gives a list of things here, so I want you to understand. The wisdom from above, we're talking, this is the wisdom from God that, that helps us form a, a, an eternal perspective and have the right view on things. What will that produce in me? What, 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 is that, what does it come from in me? The wisdom from above is first, pure. Then it's peace-loving. It's gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering, without pretense. That is the opposite, right? That is the opposite of everything the world would tell you to be. But this is the wisdom from God that gives us an eternal perspective. And it says, in the fruit of righteousness, what is, what is brought about because of it is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. This is what we need to be working on in our hearts, is what it's saying. This is what we need to be working on producing, is, is finding a, a wisdom from above and then letting it produce in us purity and peace-loving and gentle and compliant, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering and without pretense, because that is making the best of your life now. You may not have the best life now, but you're making the best of the life now, and you're really, what you're really doing is putting your hope in your best life later. Amen? Number three. That leads us to number three. Uh, having your best life later, uh, it, it, that you and I believe the hope of the gospel. We believe. We actually believe the hope of the gospel, that, that the best life is later, that, that all this world has to offer is not all that is there to offer. God has so much more for us. We believe the hope of the gospel because we believe and we know that the Lord loves justice, right? It has paid for us to be free and be forgiven. Uh, go back to Psalm 37. Again, we're going to bust through the rest of this text quickly. Let's look at verses 3 and 4, though, right away. It says, trust. So here's, here's that belief, that faith. We hope in the gospel. right? Having your best life later, hopes in the gospel. Trust in the Lord and, and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. These, these words, again, that we really do long for, right? Safety, security, um, commitment and trust in Him and, and, and doing what is good. We long for this. So he says, do this. Trust and do these things. And says, take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is a famous verse. People love this passage of Scripture, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And we got to be careful because it almost seems like if I'm happy with God then I'll have my best life now. Well, you'll make the best of life now, but you'll, being happy in God means I, I, I'm delighting myself in who he is. I'm becoming what I just read about, being, being peace-loving and merciful and, and full of righteous fruit. All of this is part of my life, right? And if, if we're submitting ourselves to the Lord, who do you actually think is controlling your desires? The Lord. So when we delight ourselves in the Lord and he gives us the desires of our heart, is it actually what we want or is it actually what he wants? And now we want. You see, you see the difference there? That's the delight. That's, that's what comes up. And he said, I'll, I'll, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Psalm 37 is filled with commands now uh, in this text that will replace our agitation or our pursuit or our desires for what the world has um, with, with something else. And essentially, verses 3 here and 4 say, stop looking at them, the agitated, the ones you're agitated with. Stop looking at the evildoers and look to the Lord and live and walk by faith. And as you live for him and cultivate a life of faithfulness, he will guard your heart and your mind. This is what it means 
So I want you to, to know about having your best life later. It's, it's you believe and you hope in the gospel. So let's look at verse 5. We saw already trust in verse 3, delight in the Lord in verse 4. Verse 5, commit. Commit your way to the Lord. This is what it means to believe, to have faith. It's to lay myself aside and say, I'm going to actively pursue Him. Faith is not like, okay, I believe it's going to happen, so like it's a magic wand. I believe. It's not. Belief is active. It's actual. It's, it's, it's motion forward. It says, I'm going to commit. I'm going to trust. I'm going to take delight in him. And he says, he will act. Trust in him and he will act. In verse 6, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Verse 11, be humble. Again, humility is a, is a part of this. Uh, and you'll enjoy, enjoy uh, inherit the land. Uh, verse 18, uh, the Lord watches over the blameless all their days. And their inheritance will last forever. This is an inheritance, inheritance to come, by the way. right? This is my best life later. Those who are blessed, in verse 22, by the Lord will inherit the land. Uh, verse 24, though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports him with his hand. We're, this life is a, is a pain in the butt, right? We're going to fall, we're going to stumble, we're going we're to feel like this is just not working. And in that moment, our desires come up again, and we're like, oh, well, I'm going I'm to pursue this. No, we trust. We trust that the Lord has us, that He is good, that He is faithful, and so we put our trust in Him. And though I fall, though He falls, will not be overwhelmed, right? We're pressed but not crushed. We saw that earlier in our song. Why? Because the Lord supports Him with His hand. Wouldn't you rather have the Lord supporting you with His hand than you trying to support you with both your hands? Verse 34, wait. No, 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 now... Now I've crossed the line, haven't I? Don't tell me to wait. Don't tell me to defer gratification. Don't tell me about my best life later. Oh, wait, you tricked me with that. That means wait, right? Wait for the Lord and keep his way. So while we wait, what do we do? Keep his way and he will exalt you and in, in inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. Now to verse 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's not from you and I and what we can do. That's why we trust in His hand and His ability. The salvation of the Lord is from the righteous. Uh, he is their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. That's the promise we are finding here. As David writes this, it's this proverbial didactic psalm saying, this is how you do it. If you want to write down a seven-step sermon series or a, a, a magazine cover, this is where you need to go. It's, and it's not about having and living your best life now. It's about delayed gratification and knowing that our best life is actually later. And if our best life is actually later, we're going to pursue contentment in humility to God and serving Him and loving Him, right? If our best life is later, we're going to have an eternal perspective knowing that everything out here that's prospering and looks like the best life will actually fade away and die. And if we're going to have our best life later, we're going to believe in the hope of the gospel that He is the one that's mighty to save and there's nothing I can do to accomplish that on my own. I want to talk a little more about this, this, this hope we have in the gospel. And, and Paul writes about it in Colossians 1. <clears throat> Paul says, listen, I, we're praying for you in, in verse 9. And, and he says, uh, I want you that, to be filled. Like, here's, here's what he says. We're praying that you are filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What is he praying for? For you and I to have an eternal perspective. So there's point number two we had, right? Then he goes on and says, uh, be filled with that so you have understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. What was that? Well, that was godly contentment, right? Living godly lives. That was point number one right there. He's, talk he's talking about the same things David's talking about. 
He says, you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, right? Growing in dependence of God. And then he says, being strengthened. This is, this is the core. I, I, I talked to someone earlier today and, and, I, and I think about a holistic type of healing, right? You talk about the body and like if I, I have a rash on my arm, what do I, what do, I do? Okay, I might scratch it because it just really feels like I need to do that. But that's not the, that's not the solution, right? I, uh, maybe go to the doctor. What else? Put some cream on it. I, you said some, put some cream on it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we do that. We, oh, I got the analgesic. I'm going to put a cream on it. Okay. Tomorrow the rash comes back. What do you do? Put some more cream on it. Is the problem the rash? Or is there something else causing the rash? Maybe we should find out what it is and I should stop eating pitted fruits, right? Or stop running around with first cut alfalfa hay because it really tears me up. Like, like, we need to kind of find the root of this, right? So when we think about, like, I need to have a godly perspective. I want to I follow Jesus and obey his commands and obey his words. I want to read my Bible and make sure I'm, I'm living a life for him and going to church and being a part of the family of God. These are all the band-aids or the creams. And if you and I aren't built up from inside, about those things, those things really won't matter very much. So if we want to have this best life later mentality and really embrace that form of living, it's not enough just to have an eternal perspective and, and to do the right thing. Although it will go well for you if you do that. It's not enough. What it takes is, is from the heart, hoping in and knowing that your trust can be in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say? I'm praying for you that you have an eternal perspective. I'm praying for you that you can, you can do these things, but, but not just do them, but that you're strengthened. In verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you might have endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. To be reminded, like, listen, this is what God has done. So I want your heart to be strengthened and your heart to swell up in belief of that every single day, every single moment of what you have through faith in Christ. It's an inheritance in the light that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his son that he loves. In him, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. That's the hope. That's the heart. And if, if, if that's the heart of it, this other stuff will come. But God needs to deal with your heart. That, that place we get where I'm, I'm not ashamed of that message. I'm, I, all of my hope is in that. And Paul writes that. My last scripture today is out of Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's what we just talked about. This being rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of the sun through faith in Christ because he's died for us and redeemed us. Right, The redemption we have is the forgiveness of sin. I'm not ashamed of that gospel because it's the power of God. It's what we need for our best, to make the best of life now and for our best life later. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now this is where God is revealing that he is just, that he is merciful, that you and I need a righteousness that we can never earn on our own. And it is given to us by means of the power of the gospel and through faith in Jesus Christ. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Amen. We live by faith. At the end of the day, when we, we make the best of our life now, and we really our hope is in the best life later, that means we walk and we live by faith. 
We don't live by the desires in our heart. We don't get bent out of shape and agitated. We say, you know what? My best life is later. And I'm going to trust and hope in God. And, and because his justice and his wrath has been satisfied on Jesus for me through faith in Christ, I can have rest. And I can rest assured that he has me right where I need to be and that he will keep me there safe and secure until that day. And I will live my best life later. And when I live my best life later, then I can say, this is my best life now. Because that will be true then. Making the best of your life now means knowing that your best life is really later. So let's live content by, through humility and godliness. Let's be wise and, and walk with an eternal perspective, not with the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God. And, and let's be strengthened in the hope of the gospel as we walk by faith in His promises. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we continue today in, in worship and prayer? Let's pray together. Father, there's a lot right there, and I know it's a lot. But Lord, our ultimate, ultimate uh, encouragement is to trust in you, to rely in you, and, and God, to know from an eternal perspective that the ways of this world and, and even the desires from deep within my heart are not the ways we should go. So God, help us have contentment and find contentment through the hope we have in the gospel, that we would be obedient to you because we love you, because you take care of our hearts, and God, we know the reality is that our best life is later with you. We thank you for who you are. We, we ask that you continue to move now as we sing these songs, as we offer praise to you and worship, God, that not only would we sing them to you and thank you, but God, we would sing them to ourselves. We'd preach them to our own hearts. And God, we'd sing them to one another that we might be more and more complete as the body of Christ. And our hope would be firm and secure in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.